Hello and welcome to our series TS Talks, a diverse collection of the Swaddle team's audio conversations with experts, academics and sources over the years. I am Aditi. In this interview with Dr. Smita Patel, we spoke about Dalit feminism, why media coverage of crimes against Dalits ends up reproducing Brahminical ideologies, and how Dalit women are using newer technologies to form digital communities. Let's jump right in. So the first question we have for you, Dr. Patel, is about the privatization of education. How has the privatization of education impacted the social exclusion faced by Dalit students in higher education? I think, you know, this is extremely important question. And I think one has to do the intervention. And there are different perspectives about it. Um, of course, it has impacted, uh, you know, and excluded the Dalit student. But one has to also go back and look at, you know, more than 70 years of India's independence. If we look at the whole history of the public education, um, uh, we need to understand this both, the public and private institution. Uh, for instance, that in Europe, what had happened is that, uh, you know, the public education was free for all, which, which was inclusive, which includes all kinds of categories and the gender, race, class, caste, whatever, which comes in. In India, you know, the, uh, having the structural society, there was an effort and we do have the, you know, affirmative action or we could call it reservation policies. But then one needs to question that because, you know, one would see that after India's independence, that the reservation policy, of course, it enhanced. Uh, and you would see that the emergence of the Dalit middle class, at least three generations, you could see. But then the entry of the, you know, the private institution or the private education, which we would call it, uh, it, it is not only at the school level, but at the higher education. And of course, it is going to go and impact because, you know, what kind of education system we do have and is it, are we going to produce a critical sort of thinking or the rationalist thinking? Because the ways in which we are engaging into these debates, one has to be very serious, but one has to also raise the question that what previously is done and present discourse, what is going on? And uh, you would see that in the higher education now that when one is looking at the whole policy, because right now we have the new education policy of 2020, in which one would see that even the master has been reduced to one year. And then after master's, you can all uh, go directly to the research, PhD. And then the cutoff seat for the, uh, you know, the scheduled cost student, particularly done by the policies. Uh, the existing policies, uh, it is going to go and impact. Now, uh, education is something which is very, very important. And we do have this legacy of Phule Shahu Ambedkar, or uh, there are a number of, you know, progressive people. In fact, during that time, much before independence, constantly telling us and informing us, particularly to the ex-untouchables, or which we call it Dalits, Today, and also the you know the woman, the category of woman which you know fully coined as shudras and ati shudras. So this this whole tradition which which is you know uh, constantly engaging us into 
to focus on the education and education for what education which will bring and build up the consciousness which will you know bring out a egalitarian society which will help us what is right and wrong which can inform us um, and makes us to think and rethink that whether we are going in a right direction or wrong direction so i and as a reason you see that even in the public institution what had happened there's a huge discrimination for the scheduled caste or the dalit students or which also includes you know the number of faculties we have uh, enough evidences to substantiate this argument as rohit pumala in his you know suicide note when he wrote it so uh, one would see that the bright students also taking out their life because you know education was the only hope which was motivating them that the future the life will change and they can live life with respect and dignity so i think that one has to engage with this and this whole history that how many of the dalit students are entering into the private institutions like jindal global universities or ashoka universities is there any possibility to transform one's own life and the society because i one has to be very very critical and one should engage with this discourse in a serious manner i mean we do have a number of scholars who worked on this area but i think that this discourse we need to take it forward and raise the question to the of course to the state because the state cannot shy away and say that no you know it's not the welfare policy which is the state is bound to do because each one of us is a citizen of india and we have every right constitutional right to raise this question i think that the you know the social and cultural capital which many scholars talk about and uh, that is again been very important and today you would see that the third generation student coming and you know raising a fantastic question and their articulation so one has to also and you know uh, you would see that the people who have been dominating this knowledge production process they are getting extremely disturbed and it's not about particularly per se one ideology i would call it i think cutting across the academicians are getting who are from the dominant caste are getting upset so i want to raise this again the question to the them that those who are engaging with this i think we have each one of us have this commitment how to take forward this in a praxis also absolutely it's not just about theory or just about practice it's about praxis bringing those things together that brings us to the next question uh, which helps us look at dalit activism through a new lens which is dalit feminism what is dalit feminism how would you define it and how has it changed the discourse of hegemonic brahmanical feminism i think um the dalit feminism which emerged in the academic discourse in 90s onwards because in 1990s that when professor gopal guru and sharmila rege uh, wrote this two article i mean uh, you know responding to each other and 
as a result that you would say that in the academic discourse particularly in the english speaking world one would see that this discourse emerging i just go back to this whole debate because you know in 1990s when uh, at the maharashtra level in you know the organization which was there which started by the middle class dalit women they in fact challenged the hegemonic brahmanical discourse of the mainstream feminists um, by raising discussion that look you have been talking about the question of the class and gender but not the caste because indian society is a hierarchical society which is graded society what ambedkar called it and therefore one has to do the intervention of that uh, at the same time dalit feminist in fact articulating their voices um and attacking the brahmanical patriarchy the patriarchy within and outside also which gopal guru coined the uh, terminology internal and external patriarchy at the same time they they go beyond and we would see that the number of dalit feminists you know 90s onwards writing their own uh, autobiographies and uh, the, this literature the dalit literature which is written by them that itself is a important you know text to analyze their experiences and their social location what they go through at the same time when one is engaging with this it it has completely changed the hegemonic discourse uh, which was there in you know in the mainstream feminist which was existing in india i would say that in fact in 70s onwards when we had this towards equality report which emerged and uh one would see that no one in fact is engaging with the caste question seriously which dalit feminists are informing and telling them compelling them to think and rethink on this lines so as a reason you see the you know the women's and gender studies you know the complete discourse is changed um dalit feminism have their own legacy and history they draw this energy from of course Savitri Bai and Jyotira Phule, then Chhatrapati Shahu Maharaj of Kolhapur, then Dr. B. R. Ambedkar. Because if we look at and analyze their work, they not only practically try to bring out the change, but their writing informs and tells us to critically think. And one would see that the ways in which they are, you know, forcefully taking on such kind of evil practices. which was existing which was based on the hierarchy inequality talking about justice and dignity and their work itself is the one which is pioneering and one would see that the whole historical legacy which was taken forward by the little feminists informing us look this is what the direction which we have to go and they are in fact in my understanding they are trying to connect the mainstream feminists that look you had gone wrong but there's a possibility to think and rethink on those like absolutely we should be constantly reevaluating and rethinking like you said and that's very well summarized uh let's come to media representations of these caste issues so how does the media end up reproducing brahmanical ideologies in its coverage of crimes against dalit women i think that one has to in fact look at the whole history of the media uh today media is changing within fraction of second and you would see that the as i mentioned to you the uh, 19th century contribution you could see that the whole history of the newspaper the print you know media which 
emerged after the entry of the you know co uh, colonizers which the britishers which we call also and uh, how the you know the print culture came into existence and then ar uh, arrived to the maharashtra and as a result you would see now uh, it was a very important intervention and you would see that uh, you know phule also started din bandu din mitra women from the dominant upper caste also engaging into it at the same time uh, you know one has to also understand that the contribution of the you know savitri bai rode who was one of the first editor of fulles newspaper we do not have a you know substantial evidences to inform but it's uh, we do have very few evidences to write about her now um, savitri bai rode was coming from a nomadic tribe but you would see that collective consciousness of all low caste uh, low class women and the people who were part of the satyashodak movement of the phule as a result you would say that the collective consciousness which was built by the phule uh, in the 19th century and then that legacy was taken forward by again i would call it ambedkar because you know ambedkar established almost five newspapers uh, and recently uh, mook nayak is the one which last month we completed 101 years for the mook nayak uh, which was established by dr b r ambedkar the first newspaper and shahumar has in fact helped him when he discussed that i wanted to establish and uh, the message for the print media has to go people should read what is their problems how they have to engage with the knowledge production and the contemporary issues which are going on so ambedkar when um, you know uh, said this to shahumara that this is my one of my wish shahumara you know during that time gave him 2500 rupees and said that you have to establish this so you would see that muknayak samta janta prabuddha bharat Uh, these are i mean the last newspaper was the prabuddha bharat so you would see that all even the newspaper which the name was given by ambedkar um, which is remarkable itself and talks about dignity justice and then his own uh, his inclination to the buddhism right so he wants to go back and see now in the contemporary context what had happened that if you look at 70s 80s and 90s uh, and today also you would see however that there is hardly a representation coming from a dalit community one of the ways in which i said that you know uh, dalits do not have the ways in which that you know the culture and social capital but at the same time having that they have been ignored in the you know representation in all kinds whether it's a print media whether it's a, uh, whether you know it's a visual media if we map in fact 70 i mean the from the period where doordarshan came into existence you could hardly see anyone from uh, any region and now the young generations are coming and writing uh, to all kinds of media and at the same time that you would see the counter alternative i, I would call call it the alternative media which is which has been brought by them you know whether you take an example of ambedkar.org org or savari or round table or channels like dalit dastak you would see that the alternative you know form of media which is again established unlike ambedkar of course that representation is very very less but very few people 
are now taking this issue coming from the dominant caste and very few of them, those have this consciousness that, look, we did a mistake, we are accepting it. And it's also our moral ethical responsibility, being a dominant caste, born into a particular dominant caste class location that we need to take it forward. As a result, you see that um, in the most recent cases, if we analyze, in fact, the 2006 Karanji incident, you would see that print local media from Maharashtra. In fact, when this incident took place, they have written that, you know, it is a land question. The atrocity issue was never been appeared. The rape question was never been appeared. And if we go and look at one of the fascinating articles, uh, which was written by uh, Anupama Rao in the Savalkan Studies, and where she's narrating about this Shiras Gao case in 60s onwards, and she said that when this atrocity happened in the Shiras Gao, where that, you know, the... Um, landless labor is gone and raising the question. Uh, and in fact, uh, the, I, I just want to quickly say this, that in the Shirasga, what had happened is that one of the landless labor was working in the upper caste Maratha, uh, you know, uh, farmhouse. And uh, the wife used to come and hand over the tiffit to husband. So one day the uh, landlord said something to... Uh, the wife and the wife reported to the uh, said to the husband and this uh, landless laborer went to his wife the landlord's wife and he said that how do you feel if i say these kind of words to you so as a result he said that how you dare to this kind of articulation you know as a result you will see that the mother the wife uh, the family members of that landless labor they were publicly naked and you know the parade was taken place and today even you see that this kind of atrocities and incidences are happening in india which you know we do have the legal system but i would call it that there's no uh, will of the respective people in the society to bring out any kind of change and the apparatus state is in fact some or other way supporting them so you would see that media is hardly reporting these cases and one has to also understand the equation of media because media is not uh, you know in isolation surviving the market media capitalism how that nexus works how the TRP has to begin. So these are the things, but then there should be always been an alternative way out because you see that many of the cases, the Dalits are not getting the justice, particularly the rape cases. And the caste cases, when there's a harassment, we are not able to, in fact, transform the society. Each individual have to take the moral ethical responsibility to bring out the change in the society again, I would call it. That's very true that all of us have this moral and ethical responsibility, and that includes media and the subtle biases that sometimes slip through. It's our job to catch them and make sure that they're rectified. Uh, let's come now to women's participation in politics. So uh, you've written in one of your papers, and we'd like to ask you about why you've argued so. Why do you believe that caste-based reservations are an important follow-up to the larger women's reservation bill? I think that one has to go uh, and look at, again, uh, how this discourse, in fact, formulated. If we look at that 81st Amendment, which has brought in 1996, and there was a whole debate, in fact, it was a time where that these issues, which was in relation with the representation of the woman, at the same time, the issue of, which was critical about the Muslim woman. 
Now, this discourse started in 1996, and we have 81st Amendment, which came into existence, which talk about the reservation of the woman. Now, you see that 1996 and today we are in 2021. So it's almost been uh, three, four decades, but we are not, in fact, try to you know transform again the parliament and the houses because it's it's again been you know patriarchal form and the patriarchal nature which is existing in the society and you could see the reflection of that patriarchy if you look at in fact um, the literature which is available for instance uh, the fantastic work by nivedita menon on women's reservation bill and um, also the others have written also during that time you could see that there's a constant tension between each party, even those who claim that. As a result, you see that the 73rd, 74th Amendment, the reservation for the woman in the Panchat, which was very successful model. Um, and of course, there's a, eventually a critic offered on that whole debate of how, how the family members, male members are regulating at the panchayat level, proxy, these debates also came into existence. Why it's so important to have the representation of the Dalit woman? So it's down the line, uh, I would call it that 18 years before when I wrote this. What I had in my mind is that this is one of the ways in which Dalit women can contribute, like for the question of the acrosity, the rape, the representation in school, uh, colleges, at every level where they can be instrumental and bring out their own issues. So that, that is a one possibility to help out and raise the, your own issues, to make conscious to the others that, look, we want a society which is egalitarian society. We do not believe on this. We want a democratic process. We are also equal citizen of this. Because, you know, it's again been a citizenship discourse, which is very important to evolve and to engage with this. But today, if you ask me this question, um, I revisit my own articulation. And when I look at this, I'm in favor of having the reservation for the woman. And of course, the woman from the margin quota within quota. If we look at the first election, which after India's independence, and today when you see that uh, 2014, you would see that the number of women have been increased. Today we have the majoritarian government where more than 14% women are elected in 2014, right? But what had happened? Are they representing, are they raising very seriously the question of the woman? Or you, are we in the structure of a party politics which is extremely patriarchal in nature and bringing out whether women are really liberated, women are really thinking from their point of view or thinking from the party politics, which is you know very masculine in nature, or um, those 14% of women are not speaking in the parliament on behalf of all of us. That is what the real question which we need to ask. So we need to, in fact, very carefully and revisit this question of the representation, number one. Number two, I wanted to say this, that at the same time, because now it's very clear that the ideologies are very clear, we are trying to bring out that everyone cutting across caste and community should be part of parliament and, you know, at Lok Sabha, Rajya Sabha, and every level, municipality to, you know, down every level. And that 
can in fact bring out a sort of social change in the life of the women those who are leaving everyday life whether you know it's a question of if teasing whether it's a question of sexual harassment whether it's a question of rape against women it is you know domestic violence so each of them whether it's a trafficking or everything as a result on one hand you would see the extreme kind of ideology which is there which emerged through the party politics which is also you know are making us to think and rethink because you know we never had except you know in the previous government one uh, uh, i would call it uh, one president of india who was woman and one prime minister but today you would see that from 14 2014 onwards we do have the minister you know late sushma swaraj who was dealing with defense ministry today we have the minister which is dealing with you know economy i mean which is because you know these are again been uh, important intervention uh, to to rethink and to ask oneself because defense is not something that women should be appointed right um, you know the economic question cannot be addressed by the woman because as you see that again there is a stereotype so you know i you know in 2019 also again good number of women candidates are there but then what what is going to go and bring out the changes is this a particular ideology which is going to go and which is making us confused also is going to bring the change in the parliament life of the everyday women who are surviving here i think that this becomes a very tricky question now the representation of women uh, and i think that feminist needs to seriously engage with this debate now further and i see that it's again been very problematic and um, one has to take it very seriously how one is going to go and engage with this now absolutely that gives us a lot to think about uh, and a lot to work towards especially uh, when it comes to diversity within whatever representation women can give and get uh, you know in our political institutions uh, this brings us to the last question for today dr patel uh, which is about looking forwards and looking at new technologies and using that to change the narrative so how are dalit women and girls using technologies in new media to empower themselves uh, and form digital communities this is the time we all of us are right now in the digital platform it's not only a sudden transformation but every government across the world is connected and bringing out this kind of changes through that and today you could see even that we are now following exactly during the pandemic the model of uh, you know the usa Uh, in the election time right so you know the online rallies for instance uh, i think on one hand uh, of course it's positive but one has to also raise the question that how many of the dalits have the access to the internet you know the the access to the internet to access to the mobile the instrument itself because you see that those who are vulnerable those who do not even today having the two times food properly the shelter you know because these are the basic needs water food shelter so if they are struggling with that as a result one has to also see that a particular kind of a middle class which emerged through 
uh, you know, the reservation and the affirmative policy, which we call it, they are the one who are in fact able to access the internet. Uh, I would not call it, uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of problem with this word empowerment, uh, personally. I, I do not see that because uh, I think that in my understanding, what we are doing through social media, Twitter, and engaging into this thing, which makes us to rethink and go back to the ground and try to, you know, bring out the changes at the grassroots level or the ground level. We have been learned from Phule Shahu Ambedkar because they were doing both the things, not only writing, speaking, talking, but trying to bring out a change. Now, as a reason for what is happening is that, I mean, people just immediately react. And you would see that how this whole, uh, you know, trolling memes, it goes on. I think that for me, uh, at one level, to some extent, it is raising the issues which is reaching out internationally. Look, this is what is happening. And as a reason that, you know, the state is having on one hand, uh, some kind of sort of pressure to engage and to deal with, even however the state might be. And most of the time, whatever government will be there, the state would be very repressive state. And particularly the, so on one hand, you would see that, uh, uh, you know, it is bringing out a change. It is reaching out to the political community across the world. But at the same time, does it transforming the lives of the people who are downtrodden? We need to question that. And uh, you would see that the best two examples, two Dalit girls committed suicide. One is from Kerala uh, during the pandemic time, and one is from Punjab. Uh, because, you know, these girls had the aspiration to, to get educated themselves. And you would see that they couldn't fulfill that. So I think that this is again been a central question which we need to ask oneself that, and particularly to the third generation students, um, teachers, community members, cutting across, you know, class caste religion, region, that does it transforming and bringing out a change, the knowledge production through that process, because technology is there. But if I teach online, how many students are going to get benefited? And uh, you see that the dropout of the Dalit students is very high, and number of reports are coming out now. In the first lockdown, it's very categorically, we have seen that a particular class caused people traveling, you know, those who are migrant laborers. Like, what is their social location? One has to also raise this question and critically engage into uh, what kind of life they live in. What is the social security of their children? If a school is not reaching to them, a teacher is not reaching to them. So there's no question when your survival is itself is, you know, uh, completely shaken and damaged. And if it's not the government who is taking the positive measures for them, then the real question is that, because, you know, uh, nothing works in isolation. Everything has a dimension, particularly the economic dimension also is, very important, that dimension unless we address. This is again been a question that does it that writing on social media and 
raising those questions is reaching out to the global community is fine, but does it going to translate, uh, you know, that knowledge production reaching out to the people that remains same? Because I think that, again, the language plays a very important role in social media also. Here is, you would see that the English speaking people only, those who are dealing with the Facebook, those who are dealing with the Twitter, it's not only for the word back. It's that we wanted a society which is a really progressive society which will stand by and we need to revisit this. So we have to have a kind of dialogue and then sort of synthesis that how we are going to transform this. And then you would see the real, uh, you know, question of the agency which is coming on who is taking what decisions and bringing out the changes again in the life of each one of us and then those who are at the down road and particularly coming from the Dalit community. And you know uh, this country is such a fantastic country that we have a legacy of this tradition of having sort of dialogue of all sex community, which I think we are losing that. We need to revive that again. This podcast is brought to you by TS Studios, the production company that brings the Swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films.